I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. (laughs) Kia ora everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. I'm stoked to be partnering with Elevit and Menevit to bring you this special dad series. Thank you very much for coming on board, Elevit and Menevit. This content wouldn't have been able to be created without you, so thank you. Welcome to the very first episode of the men's series of this podcast, so uh, Kiwi Birth Tales for Dads. In this episode, I speak with Jay Reeve about the birth of his twin sons, Oscar and Hunter, and he takes us through their pretty long uh, fertility journey in which they found out that it was actually Jay's swimmers that were having some trouble reaching Anna's eggs, so... They ended up going with ICSI. If you don't know what that means, Jay will do a good job of explaining it in his episode. And he also takes us through, obviously, Anna's pregnancy and then into their emergency C-section birth and what things were like for them afterwards. So the point of this series is hopefully to give um, dads some, some advice and I guess a place to go to listen to other dads' experiences and maybe take some tips and If you're feeling a little bit nervous about being a first-time dad, I hope that you can take something out of these episodes and, um, yeah, just have a good way to prepare for what's coming up throughout your partner's pregnancy and birth and then a bit of what to expect afterwards. So without any further talking from me, I will let you jump into the episode and I'd love to hear your feedback on what you think afterwards. Hi Jay, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. I love this. This is a great little piece of tech, isn't it? Hey, eh? how fancy! It is. It is great. <laughs> awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you and who's in your family? Okay, uh, a little bit about me. My name is Jay Reeve, and I I would say that I hail from Mount Maunganui. Although I've lived in Auckland for longer than I lived in Mount Maunganui, I've done stuff. I've spent time on television screens and behind microphones for radio stations for probably the last decade plus. And before that, I was a a high school cooking teacher, and in my family, I have the incredible, the fabulous, the all, all-knowing, all-seeing uh, wonderment that is Anna Reeve. Um, she's my beautiful wife and the mother to our two children, our identical twin boys, Oscar and Hunter, who turned six on the 9th of March. Yeah, awesome. I just love following um, both you and Anna and the pictures and videos of Oscar and Hunter. They are so cool. They're very fun little guys, and they uh, yeah. are doing incredibly well at the moment. And I think it will be—I think it'll be interesting for them to look back and and maybe even try and recall how weird this was to be in a lockdown <laughs> at, at yeah, that age. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely awesome. And do you want to take us through what age you were when you became a dad? 
I was about 30 from from memory. I always I had this weird thing, and I think Anna's said it quite a few times as well, whenever we've had these sort of chats, is that uh, for whatever reason, uh, I'm just the most incredibly lucky individual in the world, and I managed to get, what for whatever reason, everything I wish for, I, I get. <laughs> and um, and I wanted to have children by, by the time I was 30 because I figured by the time uh, I'm 48, then the boys or my children, whatever what the, whatever the hope was to be, that our our children would be out of the house. They'd be at uni, and I'd just <laughs> yeah. be uh, I'd be I'd be hitting my straps as a forty eight year old, and I'd be able to travel the world with my wife and eat good food and go surfing in awesome places. And we're yeah. on track. We're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And do you want to take us through if you guys were trying for the pregnancy and sort of how you came about that decision? Well, this is this is the kind of the weirdest part about it is that although that's what I wanted and that's what I'd always dreamed of, it became apparent um, very early on in the piece that there was no chance of me having children because for whatever reason, uh, I would probably blame an incredibly misspent youth, which I loved. Uh, my swimmers were doing absolutely nothing. And we only stumbled upon that fact that when Anna went into test to see if there was any possibility, if we were to fall pregnant, that the boys would have alopecia like her. So okay. while we were in there, uh, the fertility specialists were like, well, hey, why don't you just get yourself test? I was like, oh, don't worry about me, mate. I'm chocolate block <laughs> full of real chocolate chips. This is some prime New Zealand beef. This is some great breeding. <laughs> um, and turns out that wasn't actually the case at all. The, um, my swimmers were just going absolutely nowhere. And so we yeah. went through the whole IVF process, which is obviously really tough on, on Anna. Anyone that's been through it knows how incredibly arduous it is. And, and like I said, a whole, whole new level of respect for Anna as she climbed into, I guess, what needed to be done and could only be done by her for us to have a family. And there's, you're, you feel fairly useless as a male that, cannot do the one simple job that you're basically put on this earth to do. And uh, and she was incredible. And as a result of that, we, we it had to be ICSI, for those of you that don't know what um, IVF is like. There's basically, there's a few different versions. This is a very dumbed down, this is a very dumbed down <laughs> way of explaining it. But basically there's a bit where you just, you can kind of almost get sort of a turkey-based scenario. Uh, the next yeah. one is to get the eggs out and then put it into a Petri dish uh, with with sperm and then hope that the sperm make their way into the egg. And then there's ICSI, which is what we had to do because mine were that useless. And they basically <laughs> pick one out of a terrible bunch and they inject it into the egg, which takes all the hard work out of it. So um, from that, there is a fairly low chance of um, having twins because obviously it's one sperm into one egg. And yep. because I always wanted twins and I wanted them to be boys, uh, <laughs> lo and behold, uh, that egg split in half. And when we went in to get our test, uh, the fertility specialist said, we need to have the conversation about there being two babies. And I was like, <laughs> you little beauty. <laughs> and Anna started crying. And and then yeah. at that stage, I was hoping that they would be boys because uh, everyone that knows Anna knows her, her penchant for shopping. Uh, and yeah. she's a third generation Auckland Dio or third generation Dio girl, which would have then financially crippled me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Sending identical twin girls with shopping habits to Auckland, Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And do you want to take us through, I guess that that's um, probably a really interesting experience for some people to hear of who wouldn't have heard of an IVF process before or anything like that. So what was that like for you? I know um, obviously it's Anna who has to take a lot of the hormones and, and go through that whole process, but how were you sort of feeling? I know you mentioned 
as a man, you sort of think that's the one thing that you can do and do well. So how were you um, getting through that, I guess, from a mental health perspective? Oh, it's pretty crazy. And it's one of those things because, mm, I don't know, I guess every everything's different for everyone. But from yeah. my experience, it was it was a bit of a roller coaster because you kind of go, well, I'm either going to bury this and not tell anybody because obviously we're meant to have, we're meant to recreate and procreate and that's what we do as humans. And when you find out that you can't do that and you're kind of almost cheating the system, well, not cheating the system, but you're using all of the technology available to you to create this life, then uh, I guess there can be a sort of stigma around it. I know that there's people that go through IVF that never mention it to anyone, not even their family. Yeah. And then there's people like myself and Anna who just go, Hey, fuck it. We, uh, we cheated the yeah. system to a certain extent and we, and we hit the jackpot and we, and we did. Um, yeah. I think there's, uh, from, from the male perspective, there is, there is a bit of a stigma around it, but I kind of know that a lot of my friends went through the same thing. So I figured that if I can, if I can sort of wrestle it and get hold of it and control the narrative, then, you know, I can, we can kind of take some of that stigma away, maybe alleviate some yeah. of the pressure because it's stressful, man. Having kids is stressful. Yeah, for sure. Full stop. <laughs> let alone, yeah. let alone going through the process and, and going and going and jerking off to some weird <laughs> semi soft porn in a cupboard at a yeah. fertility associates with people sitting on couches just outside the door. It's just <laughs> like the whole process is weird. And then, you take it to the lady at the counter and she says, um, is this the full sample? And you go, well, how, how much am I, how much are you expecting? I didn't save yeah. any back for myself. You know, like just the whole process is weird. Um, yeah. and, and then, and then watching Anna go through the whole thing, it's kind of like, there's nothing you can do except be yeah. supportive. And I think probably on reflection, I could have been far more supportive and I should have been far more supportive, but you don't know until you've been yeah. through it to, as you know, as to how terrible you actually are, because it is it is one hundred percent a massive undertaking for her. She was doing all the injecting yeah. herself. Um, she went through these crazy clomiphene mood swings, which is like the yeah. gnarliest fights we've ever had, because she was just completely irrational. And then you have to, I guess, come to terms with it and rationalize it within your own mind. Is it well? The reason why she's been a crazy bitch is because you can't <laughs> do the job that you're supposed to do. So just give her a break, and yeah. and you kind of you just really need to ramp up the empathy. And I think I could have done that a whole lot better than I did. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight for sure is a, is a easy thing to say, isn't it? Oh, a hundred percent. It is. And it's, yeah. it's so tough and you don't, yeah. you don't even appreciate it as, uh, as a male at all. I don't think until you see your partner go through all of that to create a family for the both of you. And that's sort of, yeah. I think that's in pregnancy in general. Like yeah, man, yeah. you are a very clever bunch, and the fact that you, whenever I look at my, whenever I look at my sons, every single eyelash, hair follicle, fingernail, mm -hmm. limb, organ was created by your wife inside their body, and Anna did it twice at the same time. Yeah, she's amazing for sure. And did you know sort of what to, or what were you expecting from pregnancy? Obviously, when you guys found out that you were um, pregnant and expecting twins, did you have any idea what the next nine or supposed to be nine months might be like for you guys? No, and I don't. I think I think there was probably what we'd seen on television and what we'd experienced. My sisters, uh, my sisters has got four kids. Um, some of them are some of them are older than ours and she was living at home when I, and I got to see the pregnancy and she was just a trooper. She had like two 
a 12 pound baby's home birth in a bath <laughs> in a, her bedroom and popped them out in like 40 minutes and didn't even break yeah. a sweat and was just like, is that how, it just, is that how it's done? Uh, yeah. But I think that both of us never, ever, ever anticipated what uh, that pregnancy journey would be like. It was nine months of absolute hell for Anna. She had hyperemesis really early on. Basically, when she was full term about to deliver the boys, she was 10 kilos lighter than with being full term than when she fell pregnant. Like she was just yeah. a skeleton. Um, it was really tough on her. And it was, I'm, I'm not going to say it was tough on me because it wasn't tough on me, but it was, it was definitely, um, probably made hard. I think Anna probably felt fairly alone for a lot of it because I was working so much. And then when I wasn't working, I was partying. And she didn't want to hang out because she was sick, so I didn't want to hang out with her. So I'd just go mm-hmm. out and party all the time. And yeah. she gave me a seven a, seven a.m. curfew, which is very lax. And I managed to blow through that a couple of times. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> I did. I think I did what every every um, expectant father does for their first child, and that just absolutely cuts the brakes and says, "I'm never going to party again. I've got to squeeze yeah. all my life's partying into this <laughs> nine months." And it yeah. it's not the case, and it's. And it's stupid, but I see it happen. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> I saw it before me, and I, I've seen it after. And no amount yeah. of telling, telling them that it's going to be okay changes that. It's sort of. Yeah. It was a hectic roller coaster, to say the very least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And did you sort of feel? I know we often talk about this with. Well, I talked about it with my partner when we were pregnant. Um, did you feel like an immediate bond with your? babies when they when Anna was pregnant with them or did you find that that sort of came after when they were born I I feel like it came after for me um yeah. obviously I was excited and it was kind of it was my wife that was pregnant not my children yeah. inside my wife and and then yeah once once the boys were born that's when that bond really started to form yeah um, and I'd and I'd say that our bond is, is much stronger now than it's ever been especially with yeah, yeah. Anna being in self iso for the last couple of weeks I've I've had no one to <laughs> hug except for me so I've just been soaking it up and it's been great and now yeah. they've got a little hug and kiss chart that they've been ramping up for Anna while she was in self iso and and now that she's out of it they've they're cashing in and I'm getting sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very cute and did you guys do any sort of like antenatal classes or anything like that to try and I guess educate yourself on what it might be like for you guys uh with newborn babies yeah I had a um well, we did because because it's a you join a multiple birth group it's quite funny when you look back on it but we had um a couple of experiences that are probably worth sharing as we turned up and the, the first one was um, kind of crazy, and I'm not into antenatal class. I just, I'm like, oh, I've got enough mates. I don't need to make, make any more friends. Yeah. And we turn up, and there's probably a group of about 14 of us. And up until probably the boy's last birthday, we'd catch up. Anna still catches up with some of the mums. It's amazing. Like, you just, you're in the trenches, and you need yeah. to know that with with multiple births, that there is someone else that is going through it with you. Mm-hmm. And it helps to um it helps to have a couple that's even more under the pump and that's what we had we had a couple of hours that were having triplets so oh that that made us feel really really lucky because yeah. they were solidly under the pump there was also people in there that um women that had fallen pregnant and had no support systems and you just go man I, how are you going to do this this is yeah this is pretty crazy but there was a, a guy that came in at the first one and he um he spoke to the fathers well the well the the mother spoke to the mothers about what to expect. And he just looked so disheveled and so broken. 
And he came in and was like, hey, any of you guys into fishing? Do you ride motorcycles? Do you go dirt biking, skateboarding, surfing, any of that sort of stuff? There's a pretty generous show of hands. And he goes, oh, well, sell all your cool shit. By the time you get to use it again, it'll be so old and so useless. You won't even know what it's – no one even know how to use it. It's like, what? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of instant shock. And, and then and then I um, I was doing voiceover with a guy who had um, twins as well. And I came in one morning before announcing that we we're having twins. And he had twin boys as well, identical twin boys. And he's – Looked broken. I said to him, well, "What's going on? What's happened?" He goes, "Oh, oh, my kids are two. My twins are two, and uh, one of them. I don't know how, but he manages to get into his nappy every morning before we wake up, and just throws shit all around the room <laughs> and at his brother. And so now, when we go to the supermarket, we buy packs of nappies and rolls of duct tape, oh and that's gosh. the only way. But even even then, he can still get in. And so he goes, "We're washing this, washing his whole room every day, and." I just don't know how to stop it. And so yeah. I told him about those little wonder suits, the ones that zip the whole way down, oh, yeah. the little onesies and the twin zippers. And so he got a whole bunch of them and small cable ties. And so <laughs> he zipped, the, cable tied the zips together so he couldn't get in. And that's what saved him and it broke the habit. But it was like, this is what we're in for. And thankfully yeah. it wasn't. Thankfully I've still got all my cool stuff. I've still got truckloads of surfboards and far too many motorcycles and yeah. fishing rods galore, and and my kids didn't throw shit at each other, so it's great. <laughs> That's a bonus for sure. <laughs> you take that also, as a win. Yeah, definitely. And do you want to take us through Anna going into labour and sort of how you were feeling and what you were able to do to support her through that? Yeah, so it was um, it was early. The boys turned up thirty four weeks six days. So, <clears throat> excuse me, not a, not overly early by any stretch for identical twins. Um. Uh, it was a emergency C-section. We woke up in the morning, quite, quite a strange setup. There was a, <clears throat> there was an early footy game on. I think it was, um, I might've been watching some super rugby. Uh, and I got a little carried away and got a little <laughs> emotionally invested and ended up getting pretty hammered and was meant to be going surfing at six o'clock the next morning. But because I got so, because I got so steamed, I sort of smashed the alarm away and was like, I'll just, I'll stay. And at about seven o'clock, Anna woke me up and she's like, I think my water's broke. And I was kind of a bit dusty and I was like, oh, what are you, did you just piss the bed? <laughs> and she's like, no, I think my water's broke. So was that was the case. So we got ourselves organized and drove to the hospital and it was kind of all fairly surreal. And then we had our third, third string or fourth string OB, I think, from what we had lined up. Yeah. That rolled up and was like, um, sweet as, I'll just go and put my gumboots on and we'll climb into the show. And it was, <laughs> it was on. And yeah. we got put into scrubs and Anna got prepped and her parents turned up and it was all sort of fairly surreal. And it felt like an episode of Grey's Anatomy a little bit. You know, I was in my head to toe and I watched them do the whole thing. Like I watched them do the incisions and cut through the skin and then through the, the fatty tissue and then through the muscle and then out popped these kids and, it was just all just, and I was filming as much as I could. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, there's a certain amount of detachment. And then, and then, uh, Hunter had to go on oxygen or have some, some breathing support. And yeah. Oski got whipped away. And so I followed the boys and left Anna to it. It was kind of crazy. It's sort of, well, you've got to kind of go with the kids, I guess, but there's nothing I can do for the kids. I should have probably stayed yeah. with Anna, but the, the doctors tell you to go with the kids. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Anna's done, Anna's gone through the hard yards of, growing these little 
when it looked like skinned rabbits at the stage, they're tiny. Um, and then she gets hacked wide open and just left on a table as we sort of cruise off. It was once again a pretty raw deal. But um, yeah. yeah, after a few days, after a few days, I think they were in there for just over a week. The Niku staff are incredible. I couldn't ever thank them highly enough. They just, just the real forgotten heroes, the fact that they can love your kids or perceive to love your kids and they're complete strangers um, yeah. as much as you do. They just, uh, I just, you know, they're just absolutely amazing. And you always go, I'm going to go back and thank them, but you leave Niku and yeah. then you're straight in the trenches and you'd never get yeah. around to heading back and thanking them. And I guess there's probably such a high burn rate that the same ones that we use won't even be there any longer. Yeah. It was amazing, yeah. pretty amazing. And it's just like, you, there's no, there's no manual with these things, you know, <laughs> they just turn up and you're like, Oh shit, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how did you sort of feel when you guys went home? Um, and you've got these two babies. I can only, I can't imagine actually what's it like, cause I've only got one and that's hard enough, but you guys <laughs> go home with these two babies and your life is completely changed. So how did you sort of feel? going through those early few weeks with the boys and was it what you expected and, and did you feel at all prepared for that or it was just completely sort of no one can tell you until you're doing it? Yeah, no one can really tell you. Like everyone that everyone that I see that's about to have a child now, I just say sleep in, man, just whoa, soak yeah. it up. Like you won't <laughs> yeah. know what a sleep in is for another four or five years. So they, when the boys got home, they weren't feeding incredibly well. Um, they had colic and reflux, which was a nightmare. They had that for sort of six months. So we we're on this weird two hourly feeding schedule. So Anna was just absolutely exhausted. So we would, they kind of got into the routine of every two hours, the boys would wake up to be fed. Um, and so Anna would prop herself up in bed. I'd go and get the boys. We'd bring them in. She'd double barrel them at the same time. So like holding onto two rugby balls while she was feeding them. I'd jam a cracker or something in her mouth, give her a drink of water and then um, take one off at a time, take them back, swaddle them, and then change the nappies, burp them, whatever it was, put them down, get them to sleep again, then walk in, and Anna would be basically sleeping, sitting up in bed, so I'd just grab her ankles and pull her back under the sheets, and and then and that whole process would take 45 minutes, and then an hour and 15 minutes later, they'd be up again. And so we'd just do that just continuously, just like zombies. And yeah. Yeah, when you look back on it, you go, "How do we ever get through it?" And yeah. you just do. And I think that I think if you're expecting something, then you're always going to be disappointed or shocked. Like you've just got to really be fluid and roll with the punches and not look too far ahead. Like focus on the coffee in the morning, and then you've made it through to the coffee the next morning. So you go, "Congratulations, you've made it through a day." And, and even yeah. even smaller again, you know. You can't really have too much of a focus on things that you've got no control over and going, well, on Saturday, we're going to go to the park because <laughs> Saturday Saturday might be not a great day to go to the park yeah. and yeah. the kids might be losing it. So just baby steps. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's great advice and probably answers my next question. So I will jump to um, when you reflect on sort of the period you guys have of, had of trying to conceive and then your pregnancy and becoming a dad – when you look back on that now, what do you sort of think about your mental health and and how you could, I guess, give advice or help to another dad who's out there going through something similar and obviously losing his sort of independence that he may have had before becoming a dad? How would you sort of, um, yeah, give him a little bit of advice? I think there was a – because we obviously – we were trying for children before we found out that we weren't going to uh, fall pregnant naturally. And and there was a whole 
there was a whole sort of, uh, I don't say, I don't say rigmarole, but for men, and this is an, this is an insight, which I, I'm sure that most women, men, I guess, for the most part, want to feel wanted and they want to feel, um, they want to feel craved and they want to be these big sexy beasts. And I guess the intimacy part and the sex part of making a child is, is the, is the main thing. If you fall yeah. pregnant, that is the bonus. Uh, and so when you're trying for a child, the, it gets very formulaic and very robotic and there is yeah. the romance and everything is taken out of it. Like I, I joke about it that, that Anna would call me and go, I'm ovulating, get home. You've got 20 minutes and she'd be basically scrolling through Instagram while I was chipping away. <laughs> and you know, it was like, it was very yeah. it, like, not that that was actually the case, but that's yeah, kind of yeah. how it, that's how it felt. Yeah. And you can quickly lose, you can quickly lose the desire to do that. And it's, and it definitely takes the, the fun and the sexiness out of a relationship. So I think for the most part, if you can just try, I mean, obviously it is one of those things that needs to be done, but just try and keep the romance alive in that part of it because you don't want to lose that. You don't want to lose that spark because it's pretty hard to ignite again. And yeah. we realized that very quickly. And so we, we changed tack on it and then found out that. Well, it's not going to work anyway. So we might as well head off to the head off to the Manila folder and the soft core porn <laughs> that they provide you with in the fertility clinic. Yeah. And then there there was the the part of not being able to have any romance throughout yeah. the pregnancy. So once again, you just kind of bury yourself in other things. And partying was what I did, and, and it's <laughs> it's not great because it's it's a self it's a snake eating its own tail. You kind yeah. of you go home reeking of booze and the senses are heightened on your wife and she's like, get into the spare room. And then you're like, well, I just want to, I just want to cuddle and kiss a bit, you know, and she's yeah. like, I'm going to do that. So then well, well, I'm going out with the boys and if you're not going to be any fun, it just goes round and round and round in circles. Yeah. And you kind of end up wondering what your role within this whole relationship is. And I think you just need to be confident in yourselves as a couple and be confident in yourself as, as a man and as a partner and as a, as a father to be that, you need to be better. Just always focus on being better. So yeah. exercising instead of drinking piss is a great one to do it. By all means, always catch up with catch up with your mates and have those conversations. If you're trying for children, and I get a lot of this on Instagram, like heaps of heaps of lads, like, "Hey, I'm, you know, you don't know me, but I'm in not a great space at the moment. Um, man, the must have been going through IVF, and we're seven rounds in now, and we're still having no luck, and it's really hard to keep my head up. Any advice?" you could give me, you know, would be greatly appreciated. I think it's, you just need to give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. It is tough and it is continually facing defeat that will get you down. Yeah. Maintaining a level of fitness will help with, with your actual mental health. I'm a big, big believer in um, the Wim Hof breathing method. Uh, breath can, you know, definitely bring you back. I do cold showers in the mornings, ice baths whenever I can. Like I think if you if you stay on top of things mentally and you've got to have a certain amount of, you know, there is surprise and wonderment in this world and we deserve to have that. And I don't think you want to have that taken away from you. So when it happens, it's incredible. And just know that it will and that you've just got to kind of stay stay to the path and stay to the cause and, and you will get there eventually, you know. And there is always, there's a million and one different options and every single one of them needs to be explored. And when someone says to you, if someone offers that helpful piece of advice, which they always do when you're going through IVF is 
what you need to do is just relax. You know, I had a friend yeah. and she just relaxed and then she fell pregnant. That person can go and fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah. Take that advice and go and shove it up your ass because <laughs> it is of ab- I know it's your way when the person is doing this, it is their way of trying to offer you some form of support. But in those instances, if you want to, if you want to show true support, just shut up and listen yeah. and offer no advice because there is no advice that you can offer that will make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think um, that will resonate with a lot of people that listen to this episode. So thank you. Uh, and I guess final question from me, um, this actually came up from my partner. I think when you've got a newborn or newborns like you had and you're sort of, like you said, in the trenches and you're feeding every two hours and it's just a, like, a repetitive cycle over and over and over again, you sort of can't even imagine this time where you've got boys or girls who are running around and they're really fun to play with and everything like that. So I'd love to know what is your favorite thing about being a dad now so that other people out there can think, Oh, actually maybe it's really hard for me with a newborn right this second, but I do have a heap to look forward to. I think the bit, well for me, cause I am a, I'm a former teacher. I love the human development aspect of it. It's so yeah. incredible, especially cause I've got identical twin boys. They are yeah. 99.999% identical and 100% different. Like they, yeah. obviously they're all anatomically exactly the same, but they've just got great little different minds. And, and it's just, it's just the most incredible thing to watch a human grow and develop into something awesome. And I think that you have the opportunity to make this world better by creating better humans. And if you can focus all of your time and attention, and especially these things that I've learned, like, 80, 80% of the time that you spend with your kids is between the ages of zero and 18. And my boys just turned six. So that's a third of that time that's been washed already. And have yeah. I spent that time the best I can? And what can I do over the next 12 years to make it better again? Those are the sort of things that, that, that I enjoy. It's the enjoying the, the, the last of the firsts, you know, like yeah. the, the first smiles and the, the first time that they pee on their faces when you're changing <laughs> the nappies and the, and the silly stuff that they do and getting into cupboards and spreading flour all through the house and yeah. the first time they see something cook and the first time they see an animal be killed and the first time they eat a steak or whatever those things are. There's like the boys for the first time saw a dead mouse. And it's like six years old and I've seen a dead mouse. I was like, wow, that's, that's weird. And they're like, oh, I've never yeah. seen one of those. And you forget <laughs> those things. Like yeah. You forget what it's like to feel rain on your face for the first time and to jump into a puddle and to dive into cold water and to you know, swim in a hot pool or go to a lake or go to the beach or go surfing or what all these things you just yeah. get to relive every first again. And it's just the greatest feeling to see that on people's faces. Yeah. And, and as a dad, there is just, there is nothing more incredible than seeing the amount of love that grows for your partner. Once these children turn up, like I look at Anna every single morning and I appreciate her more and more and more and more and more for giving us this amazing life that we get to live with these two incredible little souls. It's yeah. just, it's epic. It gets better. <laughs> and if it's shit now, it's going to get better. Trust yeah. me. It gets better. It gets better exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, I think that's definitely um, answered my question and we'll give some guys out there some hope who may be feeling yeah a little bit hopeless at the moment. So thank you very much, Jay, for joining me on the podcast today and sharing your stories and wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, you are more than welcome. Probably one last thing that I would add, which kind of ties back into the guy that we met in the in the multiple births group where he says, sell all your stuff. 
because <laughs> um, you won't get to use it. Don't sell your shit because yeah. then you'll just be broke with no shit. Yeah. You'll never get it back if you sell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, good advice. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. More than welcome. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback. So either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at Kiwi Birth Tales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. This podcast is made possible by Elevate, with you every step. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.